Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I hope we are going to be joined by Congressman Jim McGovern. Is Congressman McGovern with us yet? He is not, Bill. Uh, he's calling in, and he uh, always is dutifully calling in, but he just seems to be late or otherwise occupied today. We'll see. But, he's uh, working on funding the government. That's Dan. Somebody has to, that, right? That, that would be a very good thing for the congressman to be working on. I am really, really concerned, uh, although I really hope we get the congressman on soon because I want to know his perspective on Ukraine, where the Republicans are saying, nope, we're not going to fund the war in Ukraine unless we have somewhat Trump, Trumpian uh, uh, programs and policies instituted on the southern border. Really? Um, we're going to throw you, the Ukrainian people under the bus and let Putin win a war because the Republicans can't have Trump's wall or some version of it. It's unbelievable how dysfunctional our government is. But anyway, your thoughts about that, Buzz or Dan? Well, it's just so short-sighted. It, it's uh, what are the U.S. interests in terms of promoting doc democracies throughout the globe, particularly in Europe? Ukraine is the second largest uh, country uh, in in uh, in landmass in Europe, and they want very much to be a thriving democracy, um, and uh, to let them uh, slide further into the abyss that Russia has uh, attempted to put them in, it's just mind-boggling. I don't know what, what's the tie with immigration? Is it foreign people? Is that it? It's really, it's just crazy. I, I mean, there is... Yeah. Yeah, there is there is no tie-in. The tie-in is the Republicans think they have the Democrats over a barrel, that there is somewhat waning support for Ukraine and funding Ukraine in the United States, and therefore they're going to get what they want on the southern border, as if uh, anything they're proposing is actually going to make a difference, which it's not. It's like Trump's wall saying, we're going to keep drugs out of the United States by building a wall. Drugs don't come in that way. They come in through ports of entry. That's So it's all... Uh, political optics and propaganda, but the Republicans think it thinks it works for them as an issue. So that's what we're going to do, I guess. In my opinion, here's Dan, is that a large part of the Republican base doesn't want to spend any more money in Ukraine. They make the analogy of we need to spend the money home. The difference is, though, um, there, so many Ukrainians have had to leave their country. They're actually in Poland and all over Eastern Europe, and they're making their way to the United States, too. Um, you can't just say you're not going to fund a Ukrainian war. If the war continues, if you don't fund that the war is going to continue, and more people would be displaced in that country, more so than already has happened, because the war won't really stop. You know, they, they're going to bomb other parts of that country until Russia gets whatever it thinks it wants. I don't know if that's the full country or whatever. And so more people will be displaced, meaning more people will be coming through the borders uh, of the United States and other countries that have taken them in. Germany has taken in uh, close to a million. I think Poland has taken in uh, several million, and especially those countries on the border with Ukraine. So it is this big crisis. I've heard that Vladimir Putin is waiting to see what will happen with the election in America before he makes his next move in Ukraine. Well, his, his recent move is an additional 350,000 call-ups, call um, yeah. including murderers who have been in prison 
and including um, a dissident who fled Russia he, uh, with his wife, his young wife, and is in this region right now. He is being held in Texas at the Montgomery Processing Center because uh, he, he fled. He didn't want to fight. He, quote, don't want to kill, don't want to die in Ukraine for Russia. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he, he fled, and that's the story that we're getting. That the other interesting thing, that it's not the House, it's the Senate that blocked this Ukraine funding. I think we have... Congressman, do we have Jim McGovern on? We yes. do. We have Jim McGovern yeah. on right now. Sir. Sorry I'm late. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Congressman McGovern. We really appreciate your time. We've been talking about Ukraine. Tell us what the status is and whether or not you think funding is going to be approved by the Congress. Help us understand well, it that. It, yeah, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be approved um, uh, until maybe next year we'll, we'll have a, a – a, a shot at it, uh, which I think is regrettable. I mean, I uh, the, the the idea that this is being held hostage to other matters. I mean, what's happening at our border, which is totally unrelated to Ukraine, um, is really really frustrating. And um, and I I think this is good news for Vladimir Putin because he can basically you know rally support in Russia for the continuation of uh, Russia's attack on Ukraine. Uh, and say that, you know, we're going to win because everybody's going to walk away from Ukraine. Uh, and it's really dangerous because if, uh, uh, it, you know, the, it, if Russia invades Ukraine, that's not the end of something. It's the beginning of something. And um, and again, he's, he's waging a war that is particularly brutal and vicious, uh, targeting uh, civilians. Um, it's 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 awful. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish Mitch McConnell had more control over, you know, his Republicans and and would just say, look, you know, let, 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 let's let's do what we agree on. We'll fight about what we disagree on. But not everything has to be held hostage, you know, uh, for issues that, quite frankly, are very controversial. Look, I, you know, they're saying this is this is all about border security. Look, I don't think there's any objection to investing more to beef up border security. Or, for that matter, to provide more funds so that asylum claims could be adjudicated at a at a more rapid pace, so people can you know be, get their status regularized, get work permits, and and work. You know, most of the migrants that I have met with in Massachusetts all want to work. Um, and I'm not a lawyer, but based on what they have filed in their asylum claims. To me, they seem to have a pretty good case of getting it. So let's see if we can speed that process up. So those are two things we might be able to agree on. But gutting our asylum laws or gutting the, the, the heart and soul of our immigration laws, uh, you know, that's something that I don't think Democrats could, could or should support. Um, and so, you know, we're at this standoff now and uh, you know I I, I, I I was hoping it would be resolved before Christmas but it, it doesn't look that way does that put Ukraine in any danger I mean if the funding is approved say come January is Ukraine okay uh, or would this would this lacuna in the would this cause a lacuna uh, a halt in the funding therefore uh, put yeah. Ukraine at risk well the briefings I've been to um, make it clear that um, every day that there's a delay in funding um, is problematic. 
Um, you know, I, 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 I think if this can get done, you know, early uh, in January, I think we're we're probably okay. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, there's uh, you know they are running short on things, and and there's also this kind of psychological victory that you're giving Vladimir Putin, uh, which 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 only kind of reinforces. Uh, you know his ability to you know keep the Russian people on board in this terrible illegal invasion of Ukraine. So uh, yeah, it, it 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 really is frustrating, and, and that's just that's just the Senate, by the way. I mean the House, you know, that's a whole other story. Uh, and um, you know the extremists in the House are still calling the shots. So uh, yeah, I'm hoping that this can get done sooner rather than later, but I, I'm losing confidence that it could be done next week. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're wrong, too. Uh, but I also wonder whether or not you really believe that the Republicans in the Senate and the House would allow Putin to win this war over an unrelated issue. Really? That's possible? Yeah, but listen to the rhetoric coming out of the Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world. They, they, they don't, you know, they think they don't. They don't think Putin's a bad guy. They don't care. They just don't. Uh, and um, and so, yeah, they they don't lose sleep um, over whether or not Russia invades Ukraine or whether they go into Poland or whether they go where where they're going to go next. Um, I mean, they just don't. I mean, these are not reasonable, rational people they're just not uh and um and so you know this is a this is a dangerous moment it's a dangerous moment not only in terms of what's happening in ukraine it's a dangerous moment in terms of what's happening in our own country uh because come january and february we may be faced with another government shutdown so you know it's like the perfect storm uh and uh, the, the republicans have created a congress where trivial issues get debated passionately and important ones, not at all. I mean, they bring bills to the floor that are so extreme, so over the top, ridiculous that they're going nowhere. Um, and they, that's what they spend their time on. Um, we haven't had a single meeting on how we're going to keep the government funded uh, after January since we passed the continuing resolution uh, several weeks ago. So, I mean, they're not even talking about what the strategy is or how we come together to keep the government running on. Yet we, we have all these crazy bills on, you know, gutting, uh, you know, uh, any initiative that, that, that uh, deals with climate change or, you know, giveaways to big oil companies or just ridiculous bills that are, that are sound bites for the ultra-right media. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's just really, really sad. And, uh, and I, 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 again, I, I, I hope maybe you know we come back in, in January. I mean, we we still have all of next week that we're supposed to be in. That maybe there's some realization that there's an election coming up in November, and that people all over the country, Democrats and Republicans and Independents, actually want Congress to function and want people here to behave like grown-ups and get things done. And so, you know, maybe that may make a difference, but we'll see. Congress is the I'm sorry, Bill. Is go ahead. Is the impeachment uh, process that the Republicans are pushing with regard to President Biden is that going anywhere? Well, that's next week. That's what we get to look forward to next week in the Rules Committee. So we will. Uh, I think that we will probably take that up in the Rules Committee on Tuesday morning, 
and they will vote on it probably on Wednesday. Um, yeah, it will. Pass, I, I expect it's going to pass the House because I don't think they would bring it up um, if they didn't think they had the votes. And um, and Kevin McCarthy announced he's leaving at the end of the year, so there'll be one vote less come January. So they, you know, they, you know, they want to move this quickly. Um, I, I, you know, I keep on asking them, what is the offense that you <laughs> that is prompting this? Like, what what is the crime that you think that Biden committed that prompts us to have a impeachment inquiry? And I haven't gotten an answer yet. There's, there's, they want they have an inquiry in search of a of an offense. They can't quite figure one out yet, uh, which tells you um, how serious this is. But this is all about distraction. And their their strategy uh, is again to 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 detract away from the fact that they've accomplished nothing. I mean zero. These people are unfit to govern. They have done nothing. But they don't. They, they, but to distract, they want you to look someplace else. And that's what this impeachment inquiry is about: um, is you know, look over here and don't look at uh, you know our record here and what we're supposed to be doing. We want you to be distracted uh, by a sideshow, and it is—it's—it's it, it's really shameful and pathetic that that's what they're spending all their time doing. Um, you know these crazy impeachment inquiries and you know, censure. They have another impeachment. They have another impeachment resolution they want to introduce against Secretary Mayorkas. Well, you know what? If you don't like the record of Secretary Mayorkas in the Department of Homeland Security, you know, and you don't like what other secretaries are doing, you know, what you do is you win the next election and you elect who you want to be president. And unfortunately, they want to elect Donald Trump. But but that's how you deal with it. I mean, in, in, in filing in, impeachment used to be something that you, 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 don't, you only use in extreme and, and, and very, you know, you know, weighty um, matters. I mean, I, I mean, Donald Trump wasn't impeached uh, for no reason. I mean, the obstruction of Congress for you know what, you, what, the incitement of what he did on January sixth, trying to blackmail you know officials um, in Ukraine. I mean, it was not there, there was there was a, there, there were it was clear what people were going after. This is this is ridiculous. This is it's a waste of time. It's a distraction to cover up that they've done nothing. And this is buzz, Congressman. It's not just a crime that they should be looking for. It's a high crime. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about what you think. You mentioned it um, a moment ago that Kevin McCarthy's announcement that he is going to be resigning. That all of us are scratching our heads and saying, what's up with that? He won't finish his term. And he's saying he's doing it for the good of the people. What's your analysis? <laughs> Well, first of all, I, I don't have a very high regard for Kevin McCarthy. Um, I, I, he's, you know, he's the first his, his first speaker uh, in history to be ousted from the position, um, and somebody who stands for nothing and you know, uh, but but basically caved to the most extreme right wing elements of the Republican conference. So, look, I wish him all the best. I think he's leaving at the end of the year, not not for the good of the people. I think we, for the good of his pocketbook. I think he probably got offered something. We'll find that out in the next few weeks. That's probably pretty lucrative. Uh, I don't think he's leaving um, for any other reason 
than what's in his own self-interest. And we'll find that out, I think, in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, but I'm, I, I bet that he's been offered a very, very lucrative, um, you know, uh, salary and, and job somewhere um, in the private sector, you know, that will make him very rich. So that's, that's, that's what I think is happening there. Uh, Congressman McGovern, I, much more to ask you about. I want to take one short detour and ask you about the United Nations and your your speech and what you think of this nuclear ban, which okay. I received quite a few emails about saying, look what our congressman has done. Congratulations to him. Tell us about that. Well, I'm glad you're receiving uh, messages saying congratulations. I've also received some messages saying that I'm out of my mind. Uh, but the bottom line is, look, you know, nuclear weapons, um, you know, are uh, do not deter war. I mean, we have leaders now that are openly saying that they would use nuclear weapons. You've heard Putin saying that, and his spokespeople. We had an Israeli official say that they might use a nuclear weapon in Gaza. Uh, maybe he didn't take the time to think that if he did that, it would have an impact directly on Israel. But anyway, but people are, are using uh, the idea that we might use nuclear weapons very, very casually. Uh, and it's, that's very, very dangerous. And we, wa- we walked away from the Iran nuclear deal. So Iran is moving forward on building a nuclear weapon. Uh, I mean, and and the United States is going to spend trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars over the next decade, modernizing, upgrading, and building new nuclear weapons. Trillions of dollars that could be spent on other things, right? That that could be spent on ending hunger, that could be spent on, you know, bettering our infrastructure, you know, helping make college education more affordable, better health care, finding cures to diseases, you name it. Um, and these weapons, you know, the, you know, there's enough nuclear weapons on this planet where we can destroy the entire planet as we know it in one terrible flash. Uh, and so, you know, the, the issue is whether or not we've got, we're going to take a leadership role um, in leading the world toward not only reducing nuclear weapons, but moving toward the ab- abolition of nuclear weapons. And I believe that that's where we should go. Um, and we have lots of of, of, of wonderful people um, in our community who have been, you know, educating me on this for for years. I appreciate them all. Um, but uh, but this UN uh, conference, in which I get to meet with a number of uh, parliamentarians from all over the world. I mean, we have this one thing in common: is that we need to do more uh, uh, to eliminate nuclear weapons. And the United States should sign on to this treaty. Now, the good news is the United States is not actively discouraging other countries from signing under the treaty, but you know, we're the United States. We can take a leadership role and it would be nice if President Biden would say that we that as one of our goals, um we are committed to trying to create a world free of nuclear weapons. Um it, it's a way to save the planet. It's a way to save money that could be better spent on improving the quality of life for people. Um, and, um, and so I was really proud to, to be at, um, you know, in New York at the UN and, um, and I'm, you know, and I came away from that gathering, uh, feeling that I got to spend more time, um, here in Congress trying to create the political will, if you will, to, to do more on this issue. And so, uh, 
anyway, but it was a good, it was a good conference. Congressman McGovern, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your leadership on this issue. One final question for you, if I might. You mentioned yeah. earlier in our conversation that the Rules Committee, on which you are the ranking member, has not had any discussion about how to move forward with funding for the government. This is going to be front and center soon. What's the solution? Is there really the possibility, again, of a shutdown? Yes, yes. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I saw the speaker yesterday and I said, where are we on, on, the, on funny the government? He just looked at me and smiled. I mean, I, I, I mean, we, the reality is, whether Republicans like it or not, is they ha- they control the House by a really narrow margin. The Democrats control the Senate, and the, we have a Democratic president. So the idea that Republicans, and in this case, the most extreme right-wing Republicans, are going to get everything on their wish list, is ludicrous. They're going to have to compromise. There has to be some give and take, um, and they have to keep their word. It was a budget agreement that the Republicans came to with uh, President Biden months and months ago about what our numbers would be. Now they're reneging on that. Uh, that's not the way you negotiate. So they need to get real, and the Speaker of the House needs to tell the Marjorie Taylor Green wing of their party, you know what, you either want to be part of getting us to yes or, or get out of the room, uh, or, or, you know, b- because failure is not an option here. People's lives are affected if you shut the government down. Programs, vital programs, get shut down if the government is, uh, it, you know, is all of a sudden shut down. So the, the solution is we just we got to do what we normally do: is get in a room and let's let's hash it out. I mean, that's that's what you do. It's it's a give and take. Uh, and, uh, but with this crowd is they, they just, they want to take and they don't want to give and they don't even want to talk. So I don't, I don't, I'm trying to figure out, I've talked to some of my Republican friends and they, they roll their eyes saying this, this, this process is all screwed up and the Republican leadership doesn't know what they're doing. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's the holiday season. Maybe I'll go to church and light a candle and maybe something good will happen. I don't know. So that's where we are. Uh, but, uh, but we've, we've got to get this done and, um, and I was hoping it would be done before we um, recess for the holidays next Friday. But it doesn't look that way. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Congressman Jim McGovern. Thank you so much, Congressman, for your time. We really appreciate it. Well, it's great to be with you both. Talk to you soon. Bye. the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Rachel Maddow's new book is Prequel, The American Fight Against Fascism. Get it now at Broadside Bookshop. Democracy Awakening, Notes on the State of America is new from Heather Cox Richardson. And The Vaster Wilds is a new novel from Lauren Groff, a story of faith and survival set in the wilderness of early New England. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered anywhere or pick it up at the store. Then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop.
Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 1000. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker owned co op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build the solar right and do business better. It's the co op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Recently in the Daily Hampshire Gazette, I wrote in my column that we need to pay attention to Donald Trump's words. And I related a story of overhearing my father talk to some friends many, many years ago when they were having an argument and the person he was speaking with said, how could we know what Hitler was going to do? How would we know what he was going to do to the Jews and to people who were gay and to start a war and try to take over the world? How could we possibly know that? And my father said, because he wrote it down in a book that he published, Mein Kampf, and he said it in speeches. And I made the point that we need to pay attention to people's words because they in fact tell us much and they are intended to say much and impart much. And Donald Trump has done that recently and he did it explicitly. Buzz, we were talking just before we came back on the air about this. Your thoughts about what Trump just said. My mind is exploding. So uh, what the context is this. Sean Hannity, longtime friend of Donald Trump, who tries to bail him out when he gets in trouble, was trying to throw him a life preserver about this business of him being an authoritarian and a dictator who loves dictators. And so he asked him the question. I've got the quote right here. Any plans whatsoever if reelected president to abuse power, to break the law, to use the government to go after people? Um, let me see. Uh, to promising America, can you be promising America tonight that you will never abuse power as retribution against anybody? And Trump's response was, except for day one. He then repeated, I will be a dictator on day one. It, and like you say, Bill, I think it's time we believe these kinds of statements when people make them, especially Trump. And, and especially because he is actually putting in place plans for how to become an authoritarian uh, on day one. And by the way, 
let's not leave that. Did he explain further what that meant? He'll only be a dictator on day one because what after that? Well, you're just a dictator for life. What does he mean? What did he mean? Well, he continued on with that statement of uh, day one. This is Dan, where he he said basically it was going to be drilling and uh, closing all ports of entry, I guess, from Mexico. Then he's like, so he was trying to be sarcastic as the, you know, uh, his his allies are trying to interpret as, no, he's just saying that he's going to get things done and that is being called a dictator. That's his counter. But I mean, look, when you lay out with the Heritage Foundation, the actual plans for America, it is a reversal of the the rule of law, that process, the judiciary, that sort of checks and balances. He doesn't believe in that. He believes in concentrating power mainly in himself. And that's what it is. It's loyalty to himself. That's where it really it starts. If you can be loyal to one person, and that's him, he'll accept you for whatever you are, for whoever you are. Um, to me, it's just this sort of a breakdown of this sort of rules and norms that we've had that have governed the country for decades. You're right, Bill. In another time, we would have expected the Republican debate, quote unquote, De- DeSantis and Haley and uh, Ramaswamy. This was an opening. They could have said, look, this guy who wants our nomination, this Republican Party, says he wants to be a dictator. But other than Chris Christie, we just won't hear that from any of them. Yeah, he's just too powerful. My interpretation is he's just too powerful among the base. I mean, right now, if you look at the polls, I mean, Donald Trump is winning by some ridiculous margin. I saw that if you combine all the all the support for the non-Trump candidates, Trump is, is still up by 29% over them, over them collectively. So, I mean, unless it, it doesn't work out in Iowa, don't forget, Cruz won Iowa back in 2016. It's possible that... Nikki Haley or DeSantis does really well in Iowa, doesn't necessarily need to win, but get close enough to say there's an actual race. It's me and and Donald Trump. Well, Bill, Bill, Josh Silver says it'll take a miracle to unseat him on his way to the nomination. Well, that's a really interesting way to put it, Buzz, because you use the word unseat as if he were holding an office and he is, in fact, campaigning as if he were and he's not, but as if he were the incumbent president. That's Trump's campaign. I thought the word you were going to lock onto was miracle. Well, I I have proffered before a way forward for Trump to lose the Republican nomination, uh, that Nikki Haley does better in Iowa than people expect, goes to New Hampshire and does extremely well in New Hampshire because there is no Democratic primary to speak of this year in New Hampshire, and independents can vote in the Republican primary, and therefore Nikki Haley has a sporting chance in New Hampshire. And then she got, the next primary that is of significance is in South Carolina, which is Nikki Haley's home state. Trump is very popular there, but if she did well in Iowa, came close in New Hampshire, she might have the m- momentum to win in South Carolina. That's the only way that Trump uh, will be, quote, unseated as the uh, presumptive nominee of the Republican Party for president. But the polls show that that would take literally, well, not literally, but it would be an enormous, I was about to say it would take a miracle. And it's not a miracle, but weirder things have happened in politics. But that is all extremely unlikely. Well, Bill, speaking of miracles, today, this evening, will be the first, uh, the first, a uh, night of Hanukkah. We have, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. 
Kwanzaa is on its way, and uh, it's a Have Faith Thursday today. And we'll be back with Reverend Andrea Vazing. We're going to be talking about miracles right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton City Council members are considering an appropriation of $350,000 to build six outdoor pickleball courts at Ray Ellerbrook Field off Prince Street. Members met Tuesday to discuss the possibility, which was among more than $1.4 million in Community Preservation Act projects considered. The council will vote on the CPA funding request at its next meeting. Northampton paid $75,000 to an Amherst man to settle an excessive force case instead of going to trial. The shoestring reported that Jensen Retzlaff was beaten and pepper sprayed in 2019 by officers arriving on the scene after a neighbor had called for a wellness check. Dusty Christensen, the reporter who broke the story, said the Northampton Police Department leadership refused to respond to his request for comment. The police chief wouldn't talk to me about this case. Uh, none of the officers involved would, would respond when I initially reached out to them about what they were doing out there in the first place. Meanwhile, the case of Eric Matlock, who was beaten, pepper sprayed, and arrested by Northampton police officers on the steps of City Hall in 2017, will proceed to trial. Organizers are planning a 25-mile march from Northampton to Springfield this Sunday in support of Palestinians. The march, which is the length of the Gaza Strip, will start at 6 a.m. in Northampton and includes stops in East Hampton, Holyoke, and West Springfield before ending outside the offices of Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, who they are pushing for a ceasefire. We're off to a chilly start today as our high temperature is going to be mainly in the mid to high 30s, but thankfully not going to be a wet day with a bit of a sun cloud mix. Going into the evening, it's going to get even chillier. Low temperatures are mainly going to be in the high teens and low 20s. I'm Jack Wood with the 22 News Storm Team on 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary, and it probably wasn't even appropriate. On the one hand, I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You want to feel important. You want to be part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. But our part-time service in the Army National Guard means we get to be more. When our communities are in need, 
we get the chance to stand up and do something about it. We get to serve in our own region and help the people we call neighbors. From the coasts of Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Jersey. The small communities of Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. To the dense forests of New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York, and historic Washington, D.C., we are here for our hometowns. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association at this station. Now I'm a believer. It is the holiday season, and it is uh, a pleasure always to uh, be in the studio with you, Reverend and, and Andrea Thank Avesian. you, thank you. Now, you had written a piece about miracles apropos to this season that we're all in, and a lot of people have a specific idea of what a miracle could be. We talk about, you know, the uh, beatification and uh, people entering into sainthood. They have to prove miracles, and that's what miracles are. But you wrote a piece that reminded me of, well, maybe 50 years ago. I apologize to my vegan friends, but in fact, we used to raise livestock. And uh, I remember slaughtering, sorry, bad word, uh, our two pigs. And I remember how wondrous it was to look at the anatomy of these incredible animals and animals like them. I did sheep and others. And just being, well, wondrous is the best word, how humans and, and other mammals are, uh, what, how we're composed, right? You wrote about that, Andrea. Well, I did, and that's such a wonderful lead into my sort of conversion to believing in miracles, Buzz. That's such, that's such a great story. I, as a young person, scoffed at the idea of miracles and had a real conversion to believing in miracles in my mid-20s when I went to nursing school. And I was at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and in my second year, our second year, we had a required medical surgical rotation where we had to witness and observe surgical operations and autopsies. And there are no words to really convey how profoundly the observation of autopsies and operations were for me because I saw a beating heart and I saw two lugs, lungs expanding and contracting. I saw blood coursing through people's veins. I saw how the intestines were so nicely arranged in these graceful coils and swirls. And I was really speechless, and I'm a person who's never speechless. And my whole second year and third year of nursing school, I had these overwhelming moments in classes, in, on the floors, um, in, when I observed uh, operations and autopsies, of feeling completely awestruck that the body, the, our skeletal system and our reproductive system and our digestive and, urin and urinary and lymphatic and cardiac, the 10 major systems of our body, all work together so beautifully, so that we are these walking, talking, miraculous beings. Anyway, your pig story is perfect because seeing the inside of a body, whether it's animal or human, is just awe-inspiring. Bill, 
what do you think of this redefinition, kind of, of the notion of miracles? Well, I'd like to ask Reverend Andrea Vazian about that, because I think of miracles as something that, or a miracle, as something that is inexplicable with logic or rationality or experience uh, or scientific methodology. And the human body is extraordinary. Mammals are amazing. How we ever got to this place is, well, I'm not sure, really. It's a miracle because it's ex it's explainable. And I'd appreciate your enlightening us, and me in particular, as to what you mean by a miracle. Well, I think science can explain just so much. I think even evolution has to have, ask questions about when and how did it start? There was a beginning. How did that beginning come to be? And I think even great scientists over time have said, over time have said that there are scientific and rational explanations, and they also sort of come to an end where even fine scientists around the world over time have thrown up their hands and said there is a kind of um, miraculous nature to explaining the beginning of life, the beginning of the universe, the, the ongoing nature of a beating heart, of a, of a human body, and also to look at nature and to look at the incredible diversity and beauty and color and wisdom in nature. Yesterday, I walked near our home, Bill, down into the meadows in Northampton and saw an eagle. It's sort of miraculous that eagles can be eagles and that octopi can be octopi and red-tailed hawks and moths and earthworms. They are so intricately created. So, yes, they're science. And then science becomes kind of mute, and there are miraculous things. The, the other thing that I have witnessed, and I, I suspect you have as well, is the end of life, that, yep. that moment when life leaves a body. I've seen it in humans, and I've seen it in a, a number of different animals, and it always makes me um, more confused about how anyone can't love life because the miracle of a functional entity it's a miracle to me. It's like it, it, it's wondrous. I don't have, I don't, I lack the words. Uh, but when, when you see it leave, you realize we should just love life. And, and, and how can people want to take it away? So, so great, Buzz. And as a pastor and as a former RN, and I was a labor and delivery nurse, I have been at births and at deaths, many births and many deaths. And it is miraculous when the baby comes forward, whether through surgery or vaginally, a baby comes forward. Maybe you have been in the, in the birthing room. And it, there is a hushed moment where people cannot believe that this human life has come forth with all their little perfect fingers and toes. And they look and they get a slap and they breathe. And it's unbelievable. And at death, there's a moment that the soul is rising and that there is a sense of the divine, and there's a sense of a spiritual presence, and there's a sense that something miraculous just happened, and that the life, as you were saying, Buzz, that life is amazing, and this life is now passed on, and it's reverential. Is it, is it a miracle, or is it something that's wondrous? I mean, that's where I think I diverge from what you're saying, because I have the sense that spirituality and 
as if this moment that you describe, and I agree, it is wondrous, it is amazing, and I have felt the spirit after a person passes. But to me, that's this implication that somehow there is this uh, hand of God involved, and that's where I say, I'm not sure it's a miracle. It's wondrous to be sure, Andrea, but a miracle? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. For me, awe and wonder are the byproducts of miracles. For me, awe and wonder follow the fact that something that can't be explained has just happened and that people are thrown into a place of often silence, of wonder and awe. And now there's a whole movement nationwide you may have read about where people are trying to regain a sense of wonder and awe to make us feel both significant in our power to change this beautiful but broken world, but also insignificant in the face of all the wonder and awe and miracles in the world. And there's actually this movement of people stopping each day and seeing the miracles around them. I want to um, share a quote which I like very much, which is that um, the, uh, now I am searching for my quote, which I brought here. Um, there is a quote where one of our great writers, Hans Christian Andersen, actually wrote and said, the whole world is a series of miracles, but we're so used to them, we call them ordinary things. Mm. And I think we have become a little numb to the miracles that surround us, I would say almost each day. And Hans Christian Andersen said, we call them ordinary things because they are so frequent in our life, we are so used to them. And so for me, there are signs of God and small miracles throughout the day, literally throughout the day. And also we have, as we've pointed out now, really felt the power of what I consider miracles and wonder and awe at births and deaths and other significant moments and even Buzz butchering or slaughtering two pigs. And and, and Bill, <laughs> Bill just grimaced. When said that. <laughs> but, I but, saw that. Uh, yeah, right. But uh, it's interesting to me, Bill, because you are a lover of poetry and uh, Reverend Andrea Avagian, you are in fact a poet. And <laughs> So whether we literally use the word miracle in the traditional sense or whether it's just sort of a, a representation of the wonder of what you're describing, um, to me, it, it's unimportant. We don't have to... We could just uh, nod and say some things are just beautiful and inexplicable. Well, I enjoyed... I'll put that in air quotes, that your story about slaughtering the pigs, it seems to me. <laughs> but, but I wonder, you know, the pigs are in very, pigs are very intricate and very uh, uh, advanced uh, form of life, uh, uh, probably way more so actually than the turkeys. But we just murdered 30 or 40 million turkeys for Thanksgiving. And I really wonder what that tells us about our reverence for life. Uh, if this is a miracle, why are we so busy extinguishing them? We will continue gonna... that conversation right after this break. More 
Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The holidays, baking, wrapping, decorating, and of course, shopping for that special gift. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. This holiday season, consider giving a private one-on-one -on -one personal training session with a Fitness Together gift card. Stop by our locations, Amherst or Northampton, to pick one up in person. Or give us a call and we'll drop one in the mail. Give a gift that keeps the ones you love fit and healthy. Happy holidays from all of us at Fitness Together. Untucket has everything he needs this holiday season. Shop now and save big with our biggest sale of the year happening at Untucket.com or at any of the 80-plus Untucket stores. Untucket shirts are designed to be worn untucked. They keep him looking sharp and feeling comfortable. He'll love to unwrap one of our iconic button-downs, super soft flannels, or cozy sweaters. Get them while they last during our biggest sale of the year. Shop Untucket's biggest sale of the year happening now at Untucket.com or at any of our over 80 stores. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are continuing our conversation in our Have Faith weekly segment with the Reverend Andrea Avasian. And when we broke, uh, Reverend, we were talking about Turkeys, killing turkeys, at the same time we were veering life. How do you explain that? Well, uh, killing turkeys, killing each other. Yesterday there was yet another mass shooting. There was a shooting in Nevada last night. We're engaged in a war with Israel and Hamas. We're engaged in a war in Ukraine. There are other areas of fighting and conflict happening now. Killing animals and killing each other. People have said that we have lost the awareness that we belong to and are part of each other. We have lost a sense of the reverence of all life, which you were speaking to, Buzz, and we have lost a sense that life is sacred and so that power and greed have taken over. The need for power, the disagreement over religion, the fighting for land, and greed have taken over and clouded our understanding that we actually are connected to one another, related to one another, and, as they say in my faith, belong to one another. So the reverence for life and a sense of the reverential in daily life has been lost, and the desire for raw power and unchecked greed have taken over. And so, yes, there is killing of animals and killing of one another. Each day, yesterday, today, right now, around the globe. And I do think we have to, I mean, my personal view is that we have to distinguish killing for sustenance, killing for, so that we can eat, 
is different than the senseless killing that you're just alluding to. And, um, you know, one, I think, is justifiable, and the other is inexplicable. Well, our vegan and vegetarian listeners are not going to agree with you, Buzz. They are going to say that we can sustain ourselves and the planet without killing um, animals or uh, any— We could just kill wondrous plants. That's true, and and one can make a case about that, too. But wondrous plants do not have—as my friend says, she will eat nothing that has a face— so maybe plants have faces, but I'm not sure. But I think that's a wonderful um, distinction. Well, Bill, as usual, the Reverend has given us a lot to think about, especially during this holiday season. So uh, I am just so grateful. Every time you come in, Andrea, it's just such a pleasure to it's listen to you. It's such a joy for me to come in. Thank you both so much. The three of you. Thank all three of you so much. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on Talk to Talk. Caring for someone with cancer is hard. You're so busy taking care of someone else, you have no idea how you feel. There's so much you can't say. You run on adrenaline. You're worried you're going to burn out. Cancer Connection offers support groups just for caregivers, exercise classes to blow off steam, even Reiki. It's all free. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. My name is Silas Kopf. I have long been a friend of Riverside Industries in East Hampton. For more than 50 years, they have empowered and supported adults with developmental disabilities. People are treated with dignity and respect, and the Riverside team helps them to reach their goals and even find employment in our area. You may not realize it, but you encounter people every day in our community that receive training and support from Riverside Industries. To learn more about the fine work that Riverside Industries does, go to rsi.whmp North Tyler. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. You know, this time of year, first of all, happy Hanukkah for those who who, uh, celebrate Hanukkah. This time of year, I always try to tell a story as an homage to my parents. Uh, We are going to be talking to Brian Adams and an extremely uh, interesting guest who does really important work, Amy Donovan. But before we do that, I just want to tell you something that uh, maybe is the most romantic story you're ever going to hear. Um, My parents met, my mother was nine years younger, they, they met at a wedding. My mother was a friend of the brides. My father was a friend of the groom. Uh, and they were at the reception after the wedding when outside uh, a newsboy started yelling that uh, the Japanese had invaded and bombed Pearl Harbor. And everybody had been waiting to see whether or not, we, as my father tells the story, we were going to enter World War II. Um, everyone from the wedding party went outside, including the bride and groom, and surrounded the newsboy as they were hearing the story of how uh, the Japanese had invaded Pearl Harbor, except my father and my mother. There was a small orchestra. My father said it was 14 pieces. They continued playing. My parents had the ballroom to them- themselves, so my father asked my mother to dance, and they danced for the next five minutes before everybody started to come in. 
Uh, that was on December 7th of 1941. And whenever my father told that story, his eyes would roll into his head and he would say, a day that lives in infamy. So I just wanted to share that story. Um, it's an incredibly romantic story. I'm, I'm trying Adams. to figure out how the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor and uh, getting us into World War II is incredibly romantic, but I will leave that to Buzz. As, I think I just told you uh, okay. that that's how these people met and eventually married. All right. and on that note, we'll switch gears. Thanks to that, completely. I am here. Okay, on let's, that note, let's switch gears completely. Let's talk solid waste. Let's talk about waste, not about <laughs> bombings and stuff like that. Uh, happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate. And it is the holiday season. And during the holiday season, it is known for gift giving and gift receiving and getting lots of stuff uh, in the mail or under trees for those who celebrate or next to candles or whatever. And most of that stuff is unusable. Most of that stuff goes um, uh, hopefully into recycling, but a lot into the trash bin as well. And this is an issue in the holidays. And here to talk about what to do with that stuff is Amy Donovan. She's the program director at the Franklin County Solid Waste Management District in Greenfield. Uh, Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So uh, I, was I was looking, uh, sort of Googling uh, trash and uh, what I came up with is that the average person generates somewhere around four to four and a half pounds of trash a day, which just seems uh, pretty, pretty stunning. Um, 75 percent, three quarters of which is recyclable, uh, yet only about a third of that is 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 recyclable. So, Amy, you're the recycling queen, if I may uh, uh, <laughs> say that, at least for Franklin County. Right. Um, uh how do you deal with the fact that, that recycling rates can be really low and recycling has been getting a bad press lately? Can you begin with that? Yeah, well, it seems that recycling is um, getting maligned in the media again and again. Um, the media keeps repeating the same narrative, which is flawed, that only 9% of plastic is recycled or only 5% of plastic is recycled. And they're not finishing the sentence. The sentence is, of all the plastic manufactured, only 5% or 9% is recycled. And so the public hears that headline, that incomplete sentence, and thinks, oh, of what I put in my bin, only 5% or 9% is recycled. And that is not the case, especially here in Massachusetts. Um, that figure includes durable goods like appliances and things that we're going to be using for years and uh, office supplies, medical supplies, trash bags, shower curtains, everything that's made out of plastic. Of all the plastic manufactured, only a small percent is the part that we recycle. Now, that is important to know because um, we're making a lot of plastic in our society now and, and recycling is not a way to handle all of it because much of it is not even accepted in recycling. It's not the right forms or types of plastic. So we need to reduce. We need to use less plastic. Um, but throwing recycling under the bus while we do that is not wise because I believe it is causing some people to lose faith in recycling or stop recycling when recycling is still a very effective tool to deal with all this trash. So so the the 
the first thing to do is to reduce the amount of plastic that we use. Try to minimize that. Um, try to get recyclable containers that do not, that are cardboard or something that we can put right into the recycle bin. But what what do you do when I order Chinese and I, you know, out and I get all these plastic containers? Do I just put, how do I know which plastic containers are recyclable and which are not? Well, a couple things to keep in mind is we've, the recycling industry has sort of moved away from saying, recycle everything that has a recycling symbol on it, like plastic items. And instead we're saying recycle by shape. So if it's a bottle, jar, jug, or tub, and it's made of plastic, chances are it's recyclable. Those are the things that you buy in the grocery store that have a lid, you know, clean them out, empty them out, rinse them out, whatever put the lid back on, recycle it. But when it comes to something like Chinese food, like you mentioned, um, a lot of takeout food these days is being packaged in a black plastic container with a clear lid. Well, the clear lid can be recycled, but the black plastic container is not technically accepted in recycling programs because uh, plastics at that at that um, point in the sorting process are sorted by an optical sorter. It's optical sorting technologies. And so it's beaming a, a light at what's on the conveyor belt and it can't detect the black plastic because the carbon in the plastic just absorbs it and it doesn't see it. So it can't blow it off the line like it is with other plastics, like the lid is getting blown off the line into a certain bin and recycled that way. So black plastic is not acceptable. So you can, you know, clean it out and reuse it around your house for storing your screws in the garage or whatever, um, but not recyclable. And then um, the Chinese food paper, traditional paper container with the wire little handle is coated with plastic. So that's not recyclable. Um, and then lastly, um, all right, I have two more things to say about Chinese food. Um, if it comes in a aluminum tray, like is a little more old fashioned. Now nowadays they're just using the black plastic, but the aluminum tray is very recyclable. Any type of aluminum that has to do with food or drink is recyclable, such as foil, pie plates, tr trays, like roaster pans, like you'd use on the holidays, um, and then of course aluminum cans are all recyclable, and. Um, and then anything small, like um, a sauce, like your, your duck sauce, your sweet and sour sauce, those little tiny plastic cups are really too small to be seen by the sorting equipment at the recycling facilities. So that likely ends up in the trash. So the, the standard is anything that's less than three inches in diameter is going to be too small to be sorted and recycled. So the little plastic cups and their lids have to go in the trash. This is all, all wonderful information, a little bit confusing. People can go to the website for the Franklin County yes. Solid Waste Management District, and you list item by item what can be done. So people are into this, and we all should be into this. Um, Amy, what does the Franklin College Solid Waste Management District do? What is, the, what is your agency? So we're a municipal agency. We have 21 member towns in Franklin County, and that's from, you know, Shelburne Falls and Rowe in the west over to Orange and uh, Wendell and New Salem to the east. The, in the north, we have uh, Bernardston and Northfield. And in the southern part of the county, we have uh, Waitley and Sunderland and, and most of the towns in between. 
Um, Greenfield is not a member town, um, so we mostly work with Greenfield on a mutual aid type of situation, but we don't directly serve Greenfield per se. And um, so we help manage the transfer stations, manage the waste coming in and mostly going out of the transfer stations. Um, our executive director, Jan Amin, is a, a whiz at contracting and she contracts for hauling, um, goes out to bid for on behalf of the member towns and they get a really good deal or we try to get a really good deal. Um, it's, a, it's an example of regionalization. So if these small towns in Franklin County were out on their own in the wild west of uh, waste management, trying to get good pricing on their trash hauling, recycling hauling and um, special programs for, you know, sharps management, um, e-waste, tires, all the management that we do from the transfer stations and beyond. Um, they'd, they'd be, you know, it would be highly inefficient and they might be losing a lot of money. So regionalization is a great way to pool resources and, and come up with a really kind of stellar um, solid waste program that they would not be able to attain on their own. And, and now, I do want to just mention that a solid waste district is not um, sanctioned by the state or funded by the state. It's really funded by the member towns, and um, that's how we do business. So we're we're literally a municipal or municipality um, in ourselves. And by solid waste, you mean trash? Is that the right word? Trash, recycling, composting, hazardous waste, all of the above. So uh, what happens to trash? You talk about hauling it out of these uh, transfer stations. Um, where does our trash go? Um, yeah, and we do have we do have a few curbside towns, although transfer stations are the law of the land up here in the in the rural areas. So um, you might have heard that our trash was incinerated for a long time down in Springfield at the um, e Community Eco Power or Covanta um, trash incinerator, and that closed in 2022. And so towns were kind of scrambling for another option for their trash and uh, came up with the towns came up with different situations throughout the region because this affected the whole region. And our towns and many other towns are now sending waste to the McNamara transfer station down in Springfield. And that's just a large commercial um, facility that consolidates the loads. And they put it on rail cars, and it goes down to Bishopville, South Carolina. Hold, hold on, wait a minute. Over eight hundred. So our trash miles. goes to South Carolina. That is correct. And then what happens to it? Um, it goes by rail, and so they unload it and they landfill it right there uh, where they unload it. So it's actually a very simple process of just landfilling. Um, so it's not. It's certainly not ideal to be sending our trash 800 miles away, but the state of Massachusetts is very limited on trash capacity and all of the landfills in the state are scheduled to close in about three to five years. So let that sink in. Boy, that, um, is, that is so interesting. So landfills are closing. Incineration is not happening anymore. We're shipping trash 800 miles to a landfill in South Carolina that at some point will close, correct? And then right. and then what? And then maybe we'll find another landfill. So it's really a great idea, isn't it, to reduce, reuse, and recycle and compost 
as much as we possibly can because it's just not sustainable. It costs our towns a lot of money, uh, $94 a ton at least, to um, send trash so far away. And the the emissions from the transport of transporting trash such a long distance is, you know, undoubtedly contributing to climate change as are the landfills themselves because if if there's food and paper and other organically based materials in the trash, they will create methane in the landfill and the, you know landfill might have a methane um, recovery system, but that is certainly not a foolproof measure. Um, and only about half of the landfills in the US have such a system. So landfills, the EPA says that landfills are the third leading um, source of methane in our atmosphere in the U.S., so it's something to be taken seriously. And methane being a very potent greenhouse gas, in fact, more potent even than carbon dioxide in, mm-hmm. in holding and heat. We're talking with Amy Donovan. She's a program director of the Franklin County Solid Waste Management District. Buzz? I am uh, I'm reeling right now, thinking about... Uh, sending all of our trash uh, so far away. But we're going to take a break, and we're going to continue our conversation with Amy Donovan. I'm trying not to get depressed. I know, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about recycling when we come back. How about that? I'll feel much better. Yes, good. All right, thank you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 1000. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. This is Science and Sensibility with Brian Adams and a really important and special guest from the Franklin County Waste Management District, Amy Donovan. Brian, you were talking to Amy. This is all so uh, timely, I think. Yeah, we're, we're a little depressed at break about our trash going all the way to south, 800 miles to South Carolina. North Carolina. It, say, thank you. Was it? I thought it was South Carolina. Amy? South, south Carolina. South, south Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, to be uh, land-filled there. But let's talk about the something a little more positive, which is recycling. Um, and Amy, I want to ask you, a lot of people get presents this time of year, give presents, get presents, and they're wrapped in wrapping paper, and sometimes the wrapping paper is just, you know, a pile on your living room floor higher than a tree. If In fact, you uh, celebrate and have a Christmas tree. What do you do with all of that wrapping paper? Can it be recycled? Yes. Yeah, so it kind of depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, so in my role as a Franklin County representative on the advisory board of the Springfield Materials Recycling Facility, also known as the MRF, the MRF. When I say MRF, that's what I'm talking about. Um, we we educate that yes, gift wrap and wrapping paper, gift bags are recyclable, with a few very important caveats. Okay, so they cannot have glitter. Okay, no glitter. They cannot be foil, um, like uh, foil wrapping paper. Like think of like a delivery of flowers that has foil around it no glitter no foil and no metallic inks that's the one that's harder for people to understand so picture a very bright shiny silver or gold gift wrap package that's just so shiny with metallics or a christmas scene and there's a ice skating pond and it's all silver and very metallic looking and bright no glitter that is the stuff that paper recyclers don't want because it doesn't pulp up and disappear in the paper recycling process. It, it leaves flecks of that gold or silver metallic uh, paper. So if you keep those materials out and when you shop for um, gift wrapping paper, keep that in mind. Uh, stay away from the real shiny stuff. No and glitter. I'm not talking about glossy, I'm talking about metallic. No glitter, no foil, no metallics. No shiny. No shiny. And you know, I prefer it just be to shiny, use like um, the paper itself has a sheen to it. That's okay. Shiny paper is but okay, but not metallic shiny. Got it. Um, I prefer to wrap gifts. I prefer not to give gifts at all, <laughs> because. Um, but I also, um, when I do do gifts, I often will wrap with uh, newspaper. I mean, why not, right? Uh, and then put a nice right. little card uh, on that. Bill, you got a question? I do. If you put something in with the recycling that doesn't belong there, does it mess it all up? Well, it's such small amounts probably that one household is not going to ruin a load of recyclables like we've all heard in the past. Um, this material is valuable and they, the one thing that people don't really know is that in Massachusetts, recyclable materials are banned from the trash. They're called waste bans. And so trash loads are inspected at that facility that our trash goes to down in Springfield before it gets loaded on the train to South Carolina and other facilities also they have to inspect the loads and if a load is tipped and has you know more than 10% of cardboard or recyclable materials the the generator gets fined 
And similarly, the waste haulers can't just say, oh, this, we don't have a good market for this, or we have too much of this material. We're just going to throw it away. They're banned from doing that in Massachusetts. So Amy really, Donovan, do, is the reason why Massachusetts doesn't incinerate our trash, is it because it's a pollutant? Is that why? Because can't we create energy by incinerating our trash? Well, actually, it's only the two incinerators in Western Mass that have closed because their operator went bankrupt. But there are five other major waste incinerators in the eastern part of the state that are that are operating as we speak. And so, do those do those generate electricity? Do they heat hot water? Yes, or? yes. Most modern uh, waste incineration facilities are waste to energy facilities that do create some energy from the trash that they're combusting. And and why don't you send the trash to them? Why truck rail it all the way to South Carolina? Why not send those to facilities are already all filled up and subscribed by the towns that are around them. So Western Mass kind of lost our opportunity to do that. Although, I mean, do you want to breathe plastic that's being burned? That I'm not saying that I have an opinion either way, but um, a lot of people find it controversial and, and don't want to be burning trash. A lot of toxins. Even though there are some high technology ways that they clean the air. But let's talk about recycling some more. Yes. Well, how about composting? In the limited time that we have left, I want to tell a very quick story. Um, I worked for a year as a, a learning center aide in a K-2 through elementary school, and I was the cafeteria monitor. And I'd walk around, and, you know, there's so much food waste. So i just say, oh, are you going to eat those, um, those chicken nuggets? And the kid would say no, so I'd pick them off the plate until I was hauled in by the cafeteria uh, main woman and said, you can't pick food off a kid's place. But I'm like, but it's going to waste. And they're like, no, you just can't eat off a kid's place. So that was heartbreaking for me. Um, Amy, <laughs> what what about, then that's not a romantic story, Buzz. Not, um, I'm what, swooning. For what do we story. do with all of this food waste that is out there in schools and in institutions, at homes? What's the best strategy for dealing with food waste? Well, the best strategy is to reduce it. Don't create so much of it in the first place. Then the next item to check off is recycling it to feed people again. Um, and then if it's still good. And then feed that's it called, to animals. That's called leftovers, right? Compost it. Yeah, leftovers. Yeah. Feeding it to animals is a good um, way to deal with it. And composting is a really effective way to um, deal with wasted food. In Franklin County, we have 19 total transfer stations. Those are pe places in towns where people can bring their trash, recycling, and compost. And 15 of those facilities have a compost program where residents can bring their separated food waste um, and some paper waste um, to go into that special container. And it goes to a facility like Martin's Farm in Greenfield where it's chopped up into little pieces and composted over uh, three to five months and the, the thing that's so awesome about those programs is they can accept any type of food waste, including meat, bones, dairy, oily foods, um, junk food, anything. Um, and so it's a good way to really reduce your trash, especially around the holidays when you might be hosting holiday meals. And you can put your whole um, turkey carcass, no oils, no liquids, but you know, you could put meat and bones in there. And in our in our trash in Massachusetts, we have 20 
22% of our trash in Massachusetts is food waste. That's residential trash. So Massachusetts residents are throwing away a lot of food waste. Um, now here in Franklin County, we have a little less trash than in the rest of the state. So we're doing pretty good with that. And part of that reason is those, those compost programs. And in addition, um, the cities of the city of Northampton has a compost drop-off at the Locust Street transfer station, and Amherst has a compost food waste drop-off at their transfer station, and then many um, private haulers are are able to pick up separated food waste and make sure that that gets composted also. So if you if you can pay for curbside service, that's another option for you. That's really and then just briefly to mention schools. In Franklin County, before the pandemic, we had 33 out of 35 public schools separating food waste, either for composting or for animal feed. So we were really getting that um, that wasted food to a better use. That's really good to know because, again, you said food waste is, what, 20% of the, of the trash that goes out. And so it's really yeah. important to be composting as much as we can, even if you don't have... Uh, uh, a you know compost um, bin in your yard. If you don't have a yard, you can still bring that to the to a transfer station. Amy, last thoughts on recycling. We got just about thirty seconds left. Uh, take home message for those listeners out there about recycling this holiday season. Yeah. So um, if you're unwrapping gifts, have a paper bag handy and and put all capture all that gift wrap right into that paper bag, make sure it doesn't have any bows or tinsel or ribbons, things like that. Tape is okay. And I want to also sh give a shout out to the website of the Springfield Materials Recycling Facility or MRF. Um, has great educational um, recycling guides with pictures and that's springfieldmrf.org. And then I have a handy dandy holiday yes and no list that actually originated from the MRF um, up on the Facebook page of Franklin County Solid Waste Management District. So if you go to Facebook and search for that, you'll see um, the post of the day is the holiday recycling reminder with yeses and nos. Not only is recycling a wonderful essential idea, but it's the law. So got to do it. We've been talking with Amy Donovan. She's a program director at the Franklin County Solid Waste Management District. Amy, happy holidays, and we wish you well in all of your recycling, composting, reducing efforts. Thanks so much for the work that you do. Buzz? Oh, thank just, you so much. So thank you, Amy, for educating us. It's really important. I learned something. So everybody yeah. else, <laughs> it's time for music. Glenn Siegel will be here with a very special saxophonist, Caleb Wheeler Curtis of Ember, who's coming to the Drake. Right after this, we'll hear from us. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton City Council members are considering an appropriation of $350,000 to build six outdoor pickleball courts at Ray Ellerbrook Field off Prince Street. Members met Tuesday to discuss the possibility, which was among more than $1.4 million in Community Preservation Act projects considered. The council will vote on the CPA funding request at its next meeting. Northampton paid $75,000 to an Amherst man to settle an excessive force case instead of going to trial. 
The shoestring reported that Jensen Retzlaff was beaten and pepper sprayed in 2019 by officers arriving on the scene after a neighbor had called for a wellness check. Dusty Christensen, the reporter who broke the story, said the Northampton Police Department leadership refused to respond to his request for comment. The police chief wouldn't talk to me about this case. Uh, none of the officers involved would, would respond when I initially reached out to them about what they were doing out there in the first place. Meanwhile, the case of Eric Matlock, who was beaten, pepper sprayed and arrested by Northampton police officers on the steps of City Hall in 2017, will proceed to trial. Organizers are planning a 25-mile march from Northampton to Springfield this Sunday in support of Palestinians. The march, which is the length of the Gaza Strip, will start at 6 a.m. in Northampton and includes stops in East Hampton, Holyoke, and West Springfield before ending outside the offices of Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, who they are pushing for a ceasefire. We're off to a chilly start today as our high temperature is going to be mainly in the mid to high 30s, but thankfully not going to be a wet day with a bit of a sun cloud mix. Going into the evening, it's going to get even chillier. Low temperatures are mainly going to be in the high teens and low 20s. I'm Jack Wood with the 22 News Storm Team on 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. Soup, it's the thing, perhaps the only thing you want to eat. You know, those times when you want something to eat and that something has to be a bowl of hot soup. They make three soups every day at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. One is usually a bean soup, maybe lentil, red bean, or split pea. One is always Paul and Elizabeth's signature fish chowder. So rich and creamy, it's kind of hard to believe it's dairy-free. Go to Paul and Elizabeth's Inside Thorns in Northampton. Have a nice bowl of soup. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. The education assistance I received made it possible for me to be the first person in my family to go to school and graduate debt-free. That education helped get me to the first day at my dream job, a job that I can still hold while I serve part-time. That job, plus the other benefits possible from the Army National Guard, helped me become a first-time homeowner. Also, part of my role as a National Guard soldier means I know that I can be one of the first to respond and help my community if disaster ever strikes. I'm extremely proud that I get to serve my community. And that first step I took by joining the Army National Guard has made all the difference in my life. Talk to your local recruiter or visit nationalguard.com to find out what firsts are available to you in the Army National Guard. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association at this station. And it is Thursday, and it is the first day of Hanukkah this evening, and we have a gift for everyone. Uh, Glenn Siegel, you're bringing us someone special today. Yes, I'm very happy to announce that our guest today is Caleb Wheeler Curtis. 
Based in Brooklyn, New York, saxophonist Caleb Curtis is a leader and core member of several bands, including Ember, Orrin Evans and the Captain Black Big Band, and Walking Distance. His third album as a leader, Heatmap, was released on Imani Records in 2022, and he'll perform with Ember at the Drake in Amherst one week from today, December 14th at 7.30 p.m. Caleb Curtis, welcome to All That Jazz on WHMP. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great, it's great to, to have, be here. Yeah, great to have you with us. Well, let's begin with Ember, the trio that you'll bring to Amherst next week. Uh, tell us about the significance of the name Ember. How'd you come up with that? Uh, yeah, well, it's very difficult to find a name for a, a group. Um, but when we stumbled upon the name Ember, we felt that it was uh, of great significance for like the energy that comes from the band and these kind of smoldering um, relationship with the past and the future and and uh, and with very evocative, colorful, warm, um, and you know the, this kind of latent power could become a fire again, could have been a fire before. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautiful. So it, you know, we had many ways for us to take it, but yeah. uh, we we latched onto it right away once we found it. Mm-hmm. And tell us about Noah Garabidian, the bass player, and Vinny Sparaza, mm-hmm. the drummer, the other members of the ensemble. Yeah. Uh, well, we've been playing together. I mean, I've been friend, I was friends with them separately. Um, Noah is from Berkeley, California, and uh, Vinny is from Utica, New York. And I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we met he- here in Brooklyn, um, just playing music and being a part of the community. And uh, once we started playing together, we were able to find um, a rapport around making music that felt natural to us, like uh, that it was no different from having a conversation. Um, so when we get together to play, uh, we talk and we talk and then we stop playing and there's really no, uh, no difference. So it's, uh, it's a natural outgrowth of our friendships. Um, Hmm. and they're, they're incredible players and composers in their own right and also band leaders. And, um, they each have three or four albums out under their own names and play with, um, you know, some of the great. Um, artists of our time. Uh, Vinny plays with Mark Morris Dance Company and uh, with Ethan Iverson and with many other people. Um, he's been active in New York for a long time. And uh, Noah Garbedian plays with Ravi Coltrane and Chris Davis and uh, many of our contemporary um, friends and masters. Um, so it's a it's a very fun group for us and we, we all share in the um, responsibility of the music and and uh, in the ensemble. Yeah, it's a collectively run ensemble. Tell us about yeah. some of the pluses and minuses of of it being a collective. <laughs> sure. I mean, the, the pluses are, um, are very positive, and mainly that we all share in the risk and the reward, um, but we also get to all have ownership over the music. And, and like... And like many things, when you are working together in a group, you can become something greater than the, you know, the sum of the parts. Um, and we don't have to, con- you know, there's never any confusion about whether we want to be there or, you know, how everyone feels about the about the group. Um, and it and it cr- creates an environment where we're free to be ourselves 
because nobody has an agenda um, other than to create an opportunity for everyone to do what they want. Um, so those are, you know, that's, those are the main positives. The negatives are that sometimes in a collaborative organization, it can take longer to make decisions. And um, you, you, you know, you're, you're working kind of in a democratic way and uh, you have to all agree uh, and you have to respect when people disagree and, uh, and find, an, you know, another way to uh, proceed. So, but I would say it's mostly, mostly po all positive for me. Well, Caleb Wheeler Curtis of Ember, usually there is a band leader on the stage who's sort of cueing people, uh, you know, uh, of what's about to happen. Do, do you take turns being leaders or is one of you the leader that does that function? During the performances, um, you know, someone is addressing the audience and talking to the audience and um, we take turns with that. That kind of depends on where we are. Maybe someone has a connection to the city that we're in or the audience more than the others. And so they'll take the lead in that way. Um, but musically, uh, there's not, I mean, you know, I'm playing horns. I'm in, in I am <laughs> the frontmost sound in the ensemble in that way. And so it can be natural for me to make certain decisions, but uh, musically, but it's not, um, in reality, it's not what happens. It's a, uh, there's re really space for anyone to take us anywhere. And we have, we play our original compositions. We have about 30 of them um, that we have memorized and we we can move between them uh, fluidly. And uh, that creates a lot of opportunities for someone to suggest something musically and take us there. Um, and it requires that everyone is listening and, and really, uh, you know, willing to move in the direction that is suggested. So you're you're really just you're each just an Ember member. Yes. And now you're coming to <laughs> exactly. the Drake in December. So yes. So tell us a little bit yeah. about this Jazz Shares con concert, Glenn. Yeah. So uh, it'll be a week from today, the 14th at 7:30 p.m. at the Drake, and this is uh, a Pioneer Valley Jazz Shares event, and we're really excited to be at the Drake. This will be our first uh, opportunity to uh, host a concert there. And we've been working uh, closely with Lincoln Allen, and uh, he's a great host. And, of course, it's a great venue and uh, situated right downtown, so easy to get to a restaurant beforehand or a bar afterwards. Uh, so we And there's a bar there, of course, uh, at the Drake. So we're, uh, we're very excited. So, Caleb, um, in 2021, you received a McDowell Fellowship. Tell us about that mm -hmm. fellowship and what it's meant for your work. Uh, well, McDowell is a residency program for artists of all uh, types. Um, for a lot of writers and playwrights and uh, printmakers and video artists. And, and so for the fellowship, I was able to spend a month on their campus in uh uh, on their campus, and it meant that I had a had a month to focus on composition and my practice, and to ask a lot of questions artistically, and also to you know commune with these other artists of a high level in their disciplines. Uh, during that month, I was able to write all the music for my most recent album, uh, Heat Map, which came out uh, summer 2022, and uh, it was really like a turning point for me in terms of um just how i thought 
I'm just thinking about myself as an artist and identifying with that uh, with that reality. And uh, you know, there's there's nothing. <laughs> a month is a long time, and uh, I was able to. I went through some ups and downs, and able to find. You know, it felt like accomplishing a year of artistic work in a month. I left with more questions than answers, um, but also answered a lot of other questions. Beautiful. It was a, a tremendous experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, we've been to McDowell. It's in New Hampshire, and it's a beautiful campus. And the list of uh, artists who have uh, had fellowship there through the years is uh, very impressive, to say the least. <laughs> it's a, it's a quite the honor to be a part of that list. Yeah. So you play the alto saxophone, but it's not mm -hmm. the uh, typical alto we associate with Charlie Parker. Uh, tell us about the instrument that you play. Yeah, I'm playing uh, an instrument that was made famous by Rasan Roland Kirk. He was famous for playing two or three saxophones at once, and one of them he called the Stritch, and it's uh, it's a straight alto saxophone. Um, so it kind of looks like an oversized soprano, and uh, they're very unusual. Um, not many of them around, and they have uh, kind of a different sound, and uh, it's very striking in appearance. Um, it I want I knew. I wanted one as soon as I found out what it was, and I've been a fan of Rasan since I was a kid, and um, I used to listen to his record "Bright Moments" with my dad, mm -hmm. and uh, and so it playing this this instrument gives me the feeling of you know excitement of music like being a child, mm -hmm. and um, it's very uh, it's a thrill of an instrument. <laughs> and for uh, I'm those, very excited by it. For those who are not familiar with Rasan Roland Kirk. Um, Caleb Wheeler Curtis was not exaggerating. He plays two and he played two and sometimes three saxes at a time. It was a, an incredible thing to behold. We're going to continue this conversation um, with Caleb Wheeler Curtis of Ember. They are coming to the Drake. It is going to be a jazz shares contest on Tuesday. I mean, concert on Tuesday, and we can't wait. Thursday. We'll right back. Oh, it's Thursday. Thursday the fourteenth. One week from today. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. We'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Jackalope? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Enjoy fine dining in downtown Springfield. Black Angus Flame Mignon, Crab Cake Stuffed Jumbo Shrimp, Bolognese, Bear Island Salmon, and vegans are welcome too. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. A modern nutcracker, a lowbrow craft fair, a holiday pop sing-along. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. A 21st century nutcracker with dance styles from around the world set to Tchaikovsky's timeless score. Sunday, December 10th at 1 and 5 at Amherst High. It's a holiday doubleheader at Greenfield High, an artisan market, plus home for the holidays, sing-along pops concert, Saturday the 16th at 4. Fine and rare, a tasting of old and new Bordeaux wines from prestigious chateaus. Monday the 11th at Provisions Mill District. The Lowbrow Craft Fair. 25 artists and crafters. Quirky, fun, handmade goods. Saturday, December 9th at Northampton's First Churches. This is Jim Neal with What's Going On, a monthly look around at food and beverage, arts and music, and anything cool. What's Going On is presented by Provisions, wine, beer, cheese, a 
the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton, in the Mill District in North Amherst, and at the Longmeadow Shops. With the holidays upon us, the increase in traveling, shopping, and connecting online also heightens the need to protect your identity and finances with LifeLock. Identity thieves see this time of year as an opportunity to drain your accounts, open new loans in your name, and damage your financial future. LifeLock detects and alerts you to threats you might miss on your own. Don't let the busy holiday season catch you off guard. Save up to 25% off your first year with promo code NEWS at LifeLock.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. This is All That Jazz on Talk the Talk with Glenn Siegel, who has with him and us today a very special guest, Ember's saxophonist Caleb Wheeler-Curtis, coming to the Drake with his trio, Ember. For those of us who don't know jazz nearly as much as Buzz uh, or Glenn, tell us if you could, please. I know it's I'm asking the impossible a little bit, which is describe the music, but I'd like to know more of what we'll hear at the Drake next Thursday. Please, Caleb. Yeah, sure. Um, it it is a impossible task, but um, you know, in our in our group, we have a great reverence for um, lots of American music, and we like to draw uh, connections between jazz and a little bit of rock and a little bit of soul. And uh, we, we you know we have influences from like Duke Ellington and Louis Armstrong um, to uh, Sam Cooke and Marvin Gaye, and uh, and we, you know, we have this this theory about the about all this music from this country that it's all connected <laughs> in a way that that goes beyond the boundaries of genre. And um, so our music is is groovy, and there's lots of melodies, and uh, and there's also lots of improvisation, and we we deal a lot with um, sonic textures, and yeah. That's really interesting. It sounds a little bit like you start with the American Songbook. <laughs> well, we're we're not playing um, American Songbook tunes, but uh, that's a part of our background, uh, an important part. And certainly, we've spent a lot of time playing songs from the American Songbook together. Um, but all of the songs that we'll play are songs that we've written. Great. And um, in addition to the alto sax, which is, of course, your main instrument, uh, you play some trumpet. Will you be playing trumpet uh, on thir- next Thursday? Yes, I'm playing trumpet um, uh, in this band all the time. And I play a little bit of trumpet on our most recent album, which is called August in March, um, which came out on the Monty Records in August. And uh, I'm also playing uh, sopranino saxophone, which is a little tiny one, smaller than the soprano. Um, and so I've got a little arsenal of uh, instruments with me. What instrument did you start with? I started on alto saxophone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you were how old? When I was 10 years old. And you got into it, why? Uh, I, I got, my, got my first saxophone from my grandfather, who was, um, who was into jazz, and he played a bit of swing music. And, and I think it's because I was listening to jazz with my dad. Um, but I, but I, my family isn't really full of musicians and I just kind of, I don't know, I had an attraction to it. I loved Maceo Parker and, and, uh, Ross on Roland Kirk and Lou Donaldson and John Coltrane. And these, I was lucky. When you were 10? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and the Beatles, you know, I like the Beatles and some, and also like some other silly, other music that was sillier. Um, huh. 
But so, so uh, yeah, I mean, it took, it's yeah. been a lifelong, you know, my my lifelong uh, journey toward to, of a love affair with with jazz, and it gets um, deeper every year. So, Caleb, uh, you were born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which, like Amherst, is a college town, only much bigger. Um, what was it like growing up there? And uh, and it, it sounds like a, it, it was a rich musical environment. It was. It was a very nice place to grow up. I was very lucky to grow up there. And I had, um, you know, when I was a kid, there were there was a full-time jazz club. And then for a while, there were two seven-day-a-week jazz clubs in Ann Arbor. And so, plus the university always brought, you know, an incredible musicians through their their um, performing arts series. So I was lucky that I had access to to hear people like Benny Golson and David Fathead Newman, and uh, and you know, because I missed a lot of people. I'm a little too young to have caught Razon Roland Kirk and uh, and some of these other people, but. Um, but it was a nice place to grow up, and I had a great teacher when I was in high school named Vincent York, who was gave me real access to a great jazz musician. In for a dime, in for a dollar. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 38. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it well. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, you live in Brooklyn, which has an mm-hmm. overabundance of musicians and artists of all kinds, uh, as well as a high cost of living. Um, yes. As a country bumpkin here in Western Massachusetts, I often wonder how it all works. How do you make? How do you make yeah. a go of it? Uh, well, it's it's kind of like a magic trick. I, I'm not sure. We're not always sure how it's working, but, uh, you know, we keep going and, um, you know, finding a place to live that you can afford in Brooklyn is one of the great challenges of making, of being able to do it long term. And I'm lucky that I can, that it's working right now. Uh, for many years, I worked as a programmer, um, programming websites, uh, but it's very, really normal for people to have other jobs uh, while they're, per, you know, pursuing their art. And, um, and you know we support each other and uh the the music is ever present um and it's it's worth it as long as you can make it work but sometimes you can't and you have to figure something out well Uh, lots of people are teaching and and uh making their own way everyone has their own path well this is just so exciting that uh, that um uh, on Thursday, it, it, well, why don't you tell us a date and how people can get tickets, Glenn? Yeah, so uh, a week from today, December fourteenth, seven thirty at the Drake, forty-four North Pleasant Street in downtown Amherst. You can get advanced tickets uh, through the Jazz Shares website. That's jazzshares.org. Um, very reasonably priced, and um, you can also buy tickets at the door. And uh, you know. The, the Drake is just an incredible. I think you're going to find Curtis. The Drake is just a wonderful venue because those of us who love watching music love going to the Drake. Yeah, to real well, club. We're very excited. Yeah, yeah, we're well, very excited to play there and supporting Jazz Share. What a deal Jazz Share is. Glenn, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's just been great. And uh, everybody else, thank you for joining us today. I do hope you go next Thursday to the Drake to hear Ember. And uh, hey, remember, don't just Talk the talk, walk the walk. Find local news and local talk for the valley. If we didn't, 
go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413-570-5989.